Hey, good morning, everybody. Hey, great to see you on this Faithfulness Sunday. Uh, it's a special Sunday for us because it's all ages. So young and old, news of faith, veteran, believer alike, we're all gathered together today, whether online or in person in this room, to be able to focus on God and to receive from God, to listen to what He has to lead us through in, uh, in today's worship gathering. So this is a special time. And today in particular, we're going to be talking about where our faith village vision comes from. All right. So uh, we started a series a couple of weeks ago. It's called Access 101. We're talking about the ways in which God has shaped our story and our vision. And we're going through different points along our vision. So this morning, I invite you to read this along with me. Let's read our vision together. Our vision is to be a church experiencing a deep life with God and others, growing as a faith village, and striving for unity and diversity, empowering people on mission, and impacting culture in the way of Jesus. Yeah, lots of great stuff there. We'll be, we've gone through some of it already. We'll have a few more weeks to, uh, to fill out the rest of the vision and what God might be asking us to do this coming year. So really excited for that. But today, we're going to be talking about our faith village, namely a couple of things. Number one, we'll talk about our Christian origins, again, our human origins, really, and how we got to where we are today, and why our vision is important. Then secondly, we'll talk about how Jesus gave this new vision for us, and we'll talk about the origins for where we are going with this faith village. And finally, we're going to be doing some blessings in our environment. We're going to be turning our attention to ways in which we can pray together um, for our faith village. So, today we're going to do a, a very familiar story that is found in the book of Genesis. And last week we went through Genesis talking about some origins. And as we would uh, recall, God created everything. He made the heavens and the earth. He made the planets and the stars. He created our earth, the sea and the dry land, the animals that live on the ground. And then he took dust. He created humanity. And he breathed life into our beings. And God looked at all that he created and he announced this. This is very good. It's really important for us to have that starting point, to remember that when God created this world and he created humanity, we were good. Now, the story quickly devolved from there. From that goodness came a fall. We human beings traded the goodness of God's creation for our own way, and we rebelled against God. And in so doing, we invited something called sin into our beings, and it infiltrated us inside and out. It created a mess of our world, and sin leads to death. Now, the book of Genesis, as I was beginning to lay out, talks about this fall, and then it goes into detail about how this fall began to impact our very relationships, the relationships that God had given us initially to love. And this is the story of how that relationship devolved among two brothers, Cain and Abel. 
We'll go through the story in Genesis 4. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. A couple of details I want to talk about in this text to help us understand what is going on in this dynamic between the two brothers. And the, the first detail I want to point out is this. You may have just read it and wondered, wow, why did Cain have an offering that wasn't acceptable before God? Well, well, God accepted Abel's offering. Was it because he brought meat and, uh, you know, uh, Cain brought vegetables? Was God just, you know, happier with fatty brisket? You know, he brought some of the firstborn, the, the fat portions of the firstborn. I read that through Texas eyes these days. I didn't know what fatty brisket was until I moved to Houston. Um, but no, that would not be the right interpretation. God actually honored Abel's offering here because he brought the best of the best. In the ancient world, this would have been this would have been the best portion of meat that he could have brought. This meant that Abel took some thought. He brought to God something that was worthwhile in his own kind of responsibility, his own realm of responsibility and work, and said, you know what? I'm thankful to God. I want God to be honored in this offering. Now, when it comes to Cain, it says he brought an offering too, but it doesn't go into too much detail other than the fact that he just brought some of his work. So it goes on from here to say that Cain was very angry. I don't know what anger is like for you, or if you can remember the last time you were really, really mad at something. I mean, it says here that Cain was so upset that it showed all over his face. I mean, a lot of us these days, you know, when we're angry, we try to hide it, at least, at least in you know, polite culture, you know, might be angry at something, but you're not going to let it show all over your face. But Cain, he was really mad to the point in which he was going throughout his day furious about this situation. So God steps in and he asks this question, why are you angry? And why is your face downcast? God asks Cain, do a little introspection here to ask and to analyze what's behind all the anger. And just as a side note, in the spiritual life, anger is most certainly something to pay attention to. Not necessarily a bad or good thing immediately, but it can be a signal that there is something that is going on in our souls that's worthy of looking more deeply at, to analyze. And this is exactly what God does with Cain. And then finally, God gives this warning. 
sin is crouching at your door. The language that God uses to describe sin is that of a wild animal. There's a wild animal right outside your door that desires to have you. You know, I grew up next to some wild animals. They were not wild in the typical sense. I didn't live in the forest. But I had neighbors who had guard dogs. And the guard dog that lived next door was a wild animal. And at times when he got out, people were really afraid, including myself. And I can imagine when I read this passage, I think of my dog, <laughs> that dog that I grew up next to. His name was Magnum. And you can, you, can, you can imagine what Magnum was like, a German shepherd who was out of control, who bit some neighbors and would sometimes get out and chase me around the neighborhood. God says to Cain, sin is crouching at your door, but you must master it. The sad tale of Cain and Abel is that Cain did not master it. And we read what happens. Cain said to his brother Abel, hey, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? Well, I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from, the, from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. This is a sad tale, and it's meant to be a tale that we receive to understand the very dangers of what sin can do to our souls, how sin can run wild within our hearts. There are several things I want to point out regarding Cain's life this morning that help us understand this more deeply. So what went wrong with Cain's life? Three things. The first is pride. So Abel brought an offering that was acceptable to God, and Cain did, there was a, a differential in their life. There was a difference in their work, in the way they approached God, in the way they, they thought about life. And that difference was very apparent to Cain, so much that it made him angry. But the question really is, what are we to make of this difference? How can you and I interpret it, and what kind of meaning do we make in our own lives when we see differences like that among our own families and among our own peers? Does it make you angry? Does it make you upset? For Cain, it was an unacceptable situation. Now, God gave him an out. He gave him a way to interpret this difference. He said, if you do right, won't you be accepted? In other words, if you do a little work in your own life, won't this difference be corrected and things be returned to a better state? But see, here's where pride took root. 
First of all, he didn't listen to God, which is a pretty prideful thing to do. And secondly, Cain didn't want Abel to be at the center of the story. And that's going to be more evident as we go on from this story. That's what pride is. It's a desire to be in the spotlight, to be all about me. It's a desire to be centered in the story. And when other people take that center stage, it's not an acceptable situation. Number two, there's another thing that went kind of haywire in Cain's life. This is blame. You see, when Cain saw Abel, he saw a problem. He saw someone he needed to get rid of. He saw, he saw an enemy. He externalized his problem, and he said it resided elsewhere. While God called him to look interior at his own anger, Cain was completely focused on his brother's life and how he could solve his problem by ending Abel's life. Blame is one of those things that we human beings very naturally slip into. So years ago, we had a speaker here at Axis who was um, our retreat speaker and a Sunday speaker, uh, Trisha Taylor, so a lot of you know who she is. He was one of the founders of Faith Walking, and she quoted Brene Brown, who's at UH, um, uh, who does a lot of work around shame. And said that one day Brene Brown was uh, getting coffee in the morning and got a cup of coffee, was about to uh, enjoy it, but kind of fumbled it, dropped it, and the mug shattered into millions of pieces all over the kitchen. Coffee was everywhere. It splashed up into her clothes, ruined her clothes. And the first thing that went through her mind was a name, Steve. <laughs> Who was Steve? Steve. <laughs> was her husband. Why did Steve come to mind? Because Steve came home late the night before. And that caused Brene to stay up late and lose sleep. And that caused her to wake up groggy and uncoordinated. And therefore, Steve was the reason for her unhappiness that morning. You see, many of us so quickly run to some kind of blame for the unhappiness that we feel. It's very evident in Cain's life. It's evident in the story that Brene Brown can speak of. And the question is for us, is this a habit for you? Is this a habit that I tend to do? One more thing, pride and blame, and this is probably the deepest part of the issue, textually speaking. In terms of scripture, this is the heart of things. Cain refused to be a brother. He refused to be a brother to Abel. So in scripture, because especially in um, the way ancients wrote, wrote down uh, the scriptures, they didn't have punctuation or they didn't have like highlighters that say, hey, this is really important. You know, what they simply did was repeat a lot, a literary device to help you understand that something is really important is, uh, is repetition. And so maybe you could take a quick look here and notice how often brother is repeated. So what the author of Genesis is trying to communicate to you and me 
And what God was trying to commute to Cain was this relationship that was meant to be filled with love. But Cain refused and saw it as something that he was no longer responsible for. I highlight this in blue so you can see it. It's all over the place. It doesn't need to be, because you can understand the story without that kind of repetition, but over and over again, what Genesis is trying to help us see is there's a relationship that was meant to be, that was designed to be part of God's plan for love. Instead, Cain filled it with hate. Now, the sad story of Genesis goes like this. It sees relationship breakdown in a number of people. It's not just Cain and Abel. Later on in that same chapter, it's Lamech versus kind of the world. It's Esau and Jacob, twin brothers who could have been friends but were (laughs) not. Uh, Rachel and Leah, uh, sisters whose father set them up for a lifetime of hurt. Uh, And then Joseph and his brothers in a very terrible story at the end of Genesis where they sell him off to slavery and tell their dad that he's died. Now, the hope in Genesis is that God has not abandoned everyone and he has not abandoned Joseph to slavery. It's a beautiful story that wraps up with forgiveness and, and grace. But over and over what we see is sin beginning to take root in humanity. So, we turn the corner now to part two of this message. Jesus. Jesus is why we exist as a church. It's his offer and invitation to be in the kingdom of God, to be born again, and it's in Jesus that we find repair. It's Jesus who invites us to live a new way. So he does this in particular with with those breakdowns that we just mentioned. This is the Faith Village vision. So first of all, with pride. So one day, Jesus with his disciples, and the disciples are kind of having their own conversation, you know, so that Jesus can't hear, which is typically a bad sign, you know. They're just whispering to each other, and they're talking, and so Jesus kind of, I mean, Jesus knows what's going on. And so he asks them, and this is a really awkward moment for them. They came to Capernaum, and was, and when he was In the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept quiet, for on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. (laughs) All right, really bad conversation, really awkward thing, and they are so embarrassed by it, they don't even want to tell Jesus (laughs) what they were just talking about, because they know this is not the way of the kingdom, and yet they were all doing this. So he went, he sat down, he called the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Jesus takes their conversation and flips the script around pride They want to be the greatest. They want to be at the center of the story. They want to be number one. But Jesus says, 
If any of you are to be great, you must be last and servant of all. Then he does this. Jesus, I'm sorry, I can't read very well. He took a child and he put him in the midst of them. And having in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Jesus takes the story around pride and flips it around, putting a child at the center of their community and says, if you receive this child, this is the way to go. You see, back in the first century, children were definitely valued. They were important. But they weren't, you know, elevated to the status that we have today, you know, in very child-centered culture. They were important, but they weren't number one. To put a child there in their midst and to ask them to love the child, to care for that child, or to pay that child number one attention, to receive that child, was to pay attention to someone who was not going to give them back status or wealth or any of the things that they were looking for. Loving a child would not make them great, at least not in that culture. There was nothing to be gained, especially that wasn't their own child. And that's some of the brilliance of what Jesus is asking them to do. Now, one of the things about pride is that it's kind of like whack-a-mole. You ever play that game where you try and hit the... (laughs) the thing that comes out at you, the mole, and as soon as you do, another one pops up. Pride is very much the same way like whack-a-mole. You, if you're trying to get rid of pride in your life, what you end up realizing is that it just rears its ugly head in some other place in your life, and you're like, oh, okay, I need to deal with pride. And then it comes up somewhere else in your life, and it's one of those things you can't just deal with by going into your own room and trying to figure out ways in which you can be more humble. Because... You're still focused on yourself at the end of the day. You're still the center of your own story. What it requires you to do, and what Jesus is teaching us to do, is you have to put your eyes on someone else. And when you do that, when you focus on someone else, you begin to de-center yourself and bring someone else higher than yourself. That's, That's reversing pride. This is reversing blame. So another time, Jesus had this to say. Hey, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So yeah, Jesus is saying this in a memorable way. It is meant to be funny. So yeah, pictures like ridiculously showing a plank in someone's eye are the point. Jesus wants you to remember. And one of the things that we learn to do about being in good relationship with others especially as followers of Jesus, is take the first step toward introspection, to self-examine, to confess. 
for many of us, this is not natural because the problem is Steve. <laughs> the problem is somebody else, right? The problem resides in our brother or sister who is doing better than us. And Jesus tells us, first, take a look at yourself. And finally, the faith village vision. So one day, Jesus was uh, talking with his disciples, his mother, biological mom, and biological brothers came to see him. And they asked, hey, we're looking all over for you. Where, where, where have you been? And they send this message to Jesus and Jesus is still sitting with the people listening to him, and he says this. Who are my brother, my mother and my brothers? He asked. <laughs> this is kind of rude, right? Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brother. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Kids, don't ever say this to your mom or your brother or your dad. This is only something that Jesus can say, okay? So he, only he can get away with this. Because what he's giving to us in this sense is a new vision for relationships in the kingdom. Jesus is saying that those who follow God's will have now taken on the status of mother and brother and sister. This is the new way of the kingdom. And this is extremely significant because in the first century, everyone was known by their lineage. You were known by your father's name, right? James and John were the sons of Zebedee, right? Everybody knows that. Why? Because that was their identity. They weren't known simply because they fished. You know, he... In our modern world, you know, everything is about your work and your identity and how much you make or whatever. Back then, it was all about your family. And this was your primary identity. And so the radical words that Jesus gave here upended everything. You will be more known by your kingdom relationships than anything else. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister, and mother. The first century church was this radical collection of people from all walks of life. It included Jewish people and Gentile people, which was unheard of back then. It was this weird mix of culture and, you know, racial, ethnic identity. It included slave and free, so socioeconomic status were upended. People were together again. It included male and female in different roles than ever before. So gender roles were all of a sudden being upended in the kingdom of God. Something new was taking place. And this is the vision that we have for our faith village. It is to be a place where we can look at one another and say these new relationships are God-given. And we are meant to be to one another like brother and sister. Even though we don't have the same biological upbringing, maybe we don't have the same type of story. Maybe we're from different parts of the world. Maybe we speak different languages. Maybe we have different social status. But in the kingdom of God, 
God has a bigger plan for us to be family, to be a strong family of faith. And so today, for us to kind of live this out, uh, we're going to do something a little bit different. It's a, you know, something we're going to try out. We're going to try and do some new blessings. Um, so we have a children's blessing. We've been doing this for like a decade here at Access, where, you know, um, we pray over our youth and our kids before they're released to their classes. So today, I'm going to invite you, if you're here and you're a student, maybe you're, um, uh, you know, your parents are around here, or maybe you have aunts or uncles that are sitting near you, I want you to turn to your, <laughs> your parents or your extended family, and I want you to lay your hands on them, and I'm going to ask you, to bless them with one hand and then reach out your hand to any other adult in the room because these are your aunts and uncles too. I want you to be ready to pray this blessing for members. All right, ready? Parents, get ready to receive. Adults, get ready to receive. Kids, let's say this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen? Amen. Thank you for doing that. All right, we're going to do another blessing. We're going to do a couple more before we end today. The next blessing is a blessing for the weary. Now, uh, you know, some of you may not know, but over the, <laughs> you know, over the course of the last 24 hours, a couple of our staff members uh, became sick. Um, this is kind of the ongoing story with, you know, this season of life where a lot of people are vulnerable and they, you know, they get things. Um, and this has been going on for <laughs> for months here at Access. Many of you have had family and extended family members who have um, been sick as well. Um, and so for any of us who may be feeling weary today, maybe you're weary because you've been sick, Maybe you're weary from caring for other people who have been sick, or maybe it has nothing to do with sickness at all. Maybe you're just weary because your soul has been, been burdened with something that's very heavy. Or maybe some of you are here, and, you know, it's been a long time since you've been able to connect with God in an honest prayer, and you're feeling the burden of these emotions and things that you've been stuffing inside. I just want you to to sit here this morning, to raise your hands to God. And for those of us here in this room who maybe feel like we can and feel like we'd like to, let's say this as a prayer of blessing for our friends that are feeling weary. Let's bless our friends. The Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lighten your burdens. May he give you new strength. May he surround you with help and with helpers, and may his spirit guide your next steps. Amen. Amen. All right, one more prayer before we do our sending prayer. And for this last one, we're gonna, I'm going to ask you to think about your neighbors. So think about the people who are on your street. Maybe think about a coworker. Think about maybe your teachers at school or maybe your classmates uh, think about uh, your boss or your coworkers, anything. 
today, I'd like us to turn our attention to the folks around us. Uh, we have some great neighbors here uh, next to Stebbins. Um, we've been building some relationships with Shadow Oaks and that school. I'm sure they're going through tough times, too, with all this coronavirus madness. Uh, so uh, some of you, if you want to think about that school, please do. Let's all extend a handout, all of us, and let's this morning pray for our neighbors. The Lord bless you and keep you. May you find faith hope, and love in Christ. And may he protect you from harm. May he supply you with your deepest needs. Lord, help us to be good neighbors. Amen? Amen. Hey, let's all stand together this morning. And we are going to recite our sending prayer. As we go from this place, let's pray a prayer to go out. Loving God through all our years, let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it, where we partners who wish good partners in the faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship, where we discover gifts and offer them. And may your spirit guide us toward joint generosity in Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, before you go today, a couple of things I want to bring to your attention. Number one, we have some sign-ups for small groups, and this is a great way for you to enter into the faith village a little bit more deeply. And I know right now there may be a a, number of different obligations that you feel like you need to get to, but I really encourage you, make time for small groups. Sign up for some of the new ones. Um, some of them, some of our group leaders are here. You can ask them more about what it's like. So Victor is here in the front. Uh, Dave Tien is going to be leading a, a monthly group in the back, so you can ask them about that. Uh, so I strongly encourage you to do that. Number two, we have our church picnic today. Now, if you didn't sign up yet and you have, uh, uh, and you're a little bit hungry and you're wondering what to do for lunch, hey, guess what? Lunch is still open up for signups. There are breakfast tacos from Torchies. Go to the website, uh, go on your phones, and just sign up there. There's enough to go around, and just uh, we're not going to exchange any cash at the park, but that's a great way for you to, to sign up. And we welcome you to join us at Knob Hill Park. So see you there. All right, take care.